Merry Christmas. And it's certainly a, a season, a time of the year uh, when, uh, when everybody joins us in song. It's a, it's a time for singing, and there's, there's lots of songs um, that are, are popular around this time of year. And this morning we're going to, we're going to consider the, the song Joy to the World. And the important part of that lyric comes next. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's the source of joy in that, in that song. And certainly the, the wonderful uh, lyric that uh, uh, Burl Ives uh, made popular. Uh, everybody that knows Burl Ives. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, uh, tis, tis the season. What is it that tis the season? To be jolly. There you go. And it is. It is the season to be jolly. This is a time of joy to the world. A time to be jolly and to rejoice with a holy joy. We talk a lot about what it means to be holy, don't we? At least it seems to me we do. Maybe it doesn't to you. <laughs> what does it mean to have a holy joy? And then I thought about the song that asked, who sang this? might have been Frank Sinatra or Andy Williams. Surely it was Andy Williams. Do you want to be happy in a million ways? Good song has a good thought to it. Do you want to be happy in a million ways? Let's think about that. Let's think about how you would go about being happy in a million ways. We're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 1. I've begged Pastor Ben's indulgence that I would return to, to Luke chapter 1 and uh, uh, review, uh, reprise once again, a consideration of Luke chapter 1. And I tried to, I tried to pare down uh, to just reading a few verses, maybe like we used to say in the Sunday school book, a, a focal passage. But, but no matter what I did, uh, the, the minimum I could do was to read verse 5 through 56. So it's, it's a bit of reading, but it's, it's one it's one anecdote. It's one account, one, uh, uh, one story, if you will. So if you want to read along, you have your, your uh, copy of the Scriptures there with you. We're reading today in Luke chapter 1. We're going to take up at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was spent, sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why, why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Thank you, Father. So this is a, an event, a, a text that's set before us this morning that is, that is replete with joy. As a matter of fact, it is replete with ecstasy. And what we encounter here in Mary's response to uh, meeting with, with Elizabeth is, is, is what could be known as, what would be called an ecstatic utterance. I mean, this is, this is the, the filling of the Holy Spirit for sure. This is God working in Mary's life in such a way that, that she, she simply has to exalt God. She has to praise God. It has to come out of her. It's such an ecstatic experience. John Piper called it, says she was overwhelmed by the condescension of the magnificent God. Overwhelmed by the condescension. We want to talk about that this morning, how Mary's response is, is an expression of, of her, her being overwhelmed by the condescension of the magnificent God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Say that first part with me. Say it aloud. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Say it with me aloud. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is certainly a response that comes from the recipient, the one who has experienced God's grace. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It is God's grace that has come upon you. Even as God's grace was evidence in the lives of those who served Him throughout the ages, and David, and Noah, Moses, and 
we, we all know the accounts of how God revealed Himself to these men in the furtherance of His plan of redemption for His people. But now we encounter this, this young girl, this, this, this woman Mary, who now experiences God grace, God's grace in, in such a way that, that she is overwhelmed. It was in Mary's sense of herself, in Mary's sense of her lowliness, her unworthiness, that her soul would magnify the Lord. Perspective. Perspective. When when something very, very small is put alongside something very, very great, there's a a perspective that takes place and the, the magnification of that which is great and the diminishing of that which is small. And Mary does that in her own heart. She does that in, in the words of her own tongue. For her soul magnifies the Lord. This is certainly a I think a theme that, that we encounter throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. Do, do you hear it? Do you see it? This was something that Jesus was always about. Jesus, Jesus learned this life of humility not only from His Father, but from His mother as well. For when it was first revealed to her that God had favored her, that God had by His grace, come to her with this blessing. She immediately recognized her own unworthiness, her own lowliness before the magnificent glory of Almighty God. And so we see it throughout the New Testament. God is not inclined toward those who would help themselves. Remember, Jesus Jesus told those that, uh, that didn't need a Savior, well, I'm not here for you, right? But to those who knew their sinfulness, those who knew they needed a Savior, Jesus said, I've come, I've come to be your Savior. Not the, not the proud, not the mighty, not the rich, but rather... The Lord is always inclined to, uh, toward those who need Him, who know it, who acknowledge it. Those who fear Him. Those who are humble. Those who hunger for the truth and holiness of righteous God. Can you hear the Beatitudes? Can you hear the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in heart. Jesus is teaching throughout his teaching ministry. John's epistles, Paul's writings, Paul's epistles, Peter. If you have no need of a mighty God, 
He has no need of you. But if you recognize the hopelessness of your life, if you acknowledge your need for God, if you, if you believe that He is able, you believe that He is faithful to that which He has said, His word, His promises, you will certainly sing with Mary, for He who has mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Mary's response, this beautiful song, this wonderful testimony, comes as a response to God's grace that she has been chosen by God. But it's also a response that God, that rather that God has now demonstrated, has elected, has chosen her. And such choice is so very sweet to her. She's, a, she's profoundly aware of the miraculous nature of having been chosen. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Very, very quickly acknowledge that, that Mary is not doubting here. Mary is not saying this isn't going to happen. Remember what happened to Zechariah when Zechariah doubted what Gabriel had said? Gabriel said, dude, look at here. Huh? So Mary's not doubting here. Mary is simply asking, what, what is expected of me? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? This is, this is going to require some, some involvement. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. It will occur miraculously. It will occur by the direct intervention of God Himself in the course of history. In the course of Mary's life, God will become flesh. God will become incarnate in the world. The virgin conceives. How does the virgin conceive? By the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, that child which is conceived, that child which is born, is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is the God man, Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. He is the one who accomplishes all that God has said throughout the ages, through His prophets and to His people. This child, Jesus, is the God-man who will fulfill all that God has said. The prophet Isaiah said his name will be called Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means. You've heard it often enough. God with us. God incarnate. God 
in the flesh. I regret to tell you this morning that which you no doubt already know. There are those who say, it just ain't so. There are those that say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, that Mary was was not a virgin. They deny the virgin birth. And rest assured that in denying the virgin birth, what they are denying is the incarnation. They're denying that God became a man. They're denying that Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son. You can't, and I did some reading on this, you, the, the, the linguistic gymnastics that they are willing to go through in order to arrive at their conclusion that, that this is just all wrong is, is absolutely amazing. But, but recognize where they're headed. For, for to deny the virgin birth, to deny that there is a miraculous intervention of God, is the first step to denying a bodily resurrection. And if there is no bodily resurrection, you know what the Apostle Paul said. We are, in fact, the most miserable of all people. The most pitiable, the ESV says. If there is no resurrection, virgin birth must be believed. If we are to believe that God has sent His Son into the world, if, if we are to believe of that, that He is the propitiation for our sins, that His death on the cross was the atonement which satisfies our debt before a righteous and holy God. The virgin birth is a prerequisite to us understanding the miracle of bodily resurrection and the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ that we too will be raised with him. The virgin birth is a first order doctrine. It is required of anyone that we would know as a Christian brother or sister. How will this be? For I am a virgin, Mary says. But be assured that the, the might of God is commensurate with His grace. What God chooses to do, God is capable of doing. The Lord is, is not constrained by Mary's virginity. He will accomplish what He has said. What God chooses to do, God is able to do. And as by His grace, He chooses to forgive the sins of His people and impart to them the righteousness of His Son, the magnitude of the need is no barrier to the power 
of the grace of God. It's good news. It's good news that erupts in Mary's heart. And it's good news which erupts in the heart of the believer who experiences God's grace. Mary's response is a a, a cry out, a testimony to God's grace and a testimony to the presence of God the Holy Spirit in making known the Son of God as John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is as the angel Gabriel had had told Zechariah would happen. What did he tell him? He said, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And his purpose is to prepare the way of the Lord, to make known the coming of Messiah. The purpose for which he was conceived, the angel of the Lord had foretold it. John's very first confirmation, John's very first fulfillment of his purpose in life came while he was yet in his mother's womb. And Mary recognizes, Mary receives this confirmation of her faith, for Mary was certainly responding in faith, acting upon faith, and she receives this event, this occasion, when when the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Mary sees this as a confirmation of her faith that it was as it was meant to be. John leaps for joy at the presence of Jesus. Mary's heart leaps for joy at the grace of God in her life. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It is in God my Savior that Mary's spirit rejoices. It is the Lord which Mary's soul magnifies. As I was preparing, my thoughts immediately turned to Philippians 4.4, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Our Savior calls us to a life of joy. He calls us to a life of rejoicing in Him. For it is the Spirit of God that has exploded in Mary's heart. And it's the Spirit of God which explodes in the heart of the believer who has likewise experienced God's grace. Perhaps no angel, perhaps no visitation from a holy messenger, but certainly to all those who are in Christ, we have known the visitation of the Holy Spirit of God. And it is in Him that we rejoice in the Lord our Savior. Paul continues in Philippians chapter 4, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Even in these exclamatory words of Mary, this, this magnificent uh, exposure of the, the joy that just overflows in her heart, I believe we can see a peace. I believe we can see a comfort in what God is doing, that it is in His marvelous grace that He accomplishes all things according to His will for His glory. This is, this is a reasonableness. Isn't that a marvelous word? This is a reasonableness that should be spread all over the world, should be made known. For this is a reasonableness that brings peace, real peace, true peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. Mary's response to the experience of God's grace, likewise a response to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. But it is likewise a response to the fulfillment of God's prophecies, the fulfillment of God's promises. For Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The finale of Mary's testimony is in God's faithfulness to his word. Mary knows that God is true. Mary knows that what God has said, he will accomplish. This is tremendous encouragement to all those who look to the Lord for their hope of life. The Word of God. The Word of God is active and powerful in Mary's life. And it is at this time of year, this season each year, that all who believe join in Mary's song of faith. We hear it, Sovereign Grace, every Sunday we join Mary in singing of God's grace, God's promises to His people, the hope that He has given, the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. But may we never sing those songs, but that they arise from a soul that magnifies the Lord and a spirit that rejoices in God our Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hear the joy 
receive the joy. Know the peace that comes by God's grace to all who hear His word and believe. Believe the good news, the gift of God, the good news of His miraculous might that He has given us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you want to be happy in a million ways? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Tis the season to be jolly. Merry Christmas. <clears throat>